last one ends podcast end of the year content. This isn't going to be us watching movies and doing that whole thing. We are literally just going to be ranking all of the things that we've watched on this podcast this year. With the one caveat of if you have seen that movie before, even if you didn't see it on the podcast, you can still have that on your lists. Which all of the lists that we're going to be going through this year are going to be, not in this episode per se, but this year, are going to be everybody's top threes, which is me, Dry Archuleta, your host, and then Robbie. It is me, the Robbie. Rocky. Hey! And of course, E. Hello. And yeah, like I said, we're going to be doing top threes for everybody, and then we're going to do uh, best of genres, which those genres are going to be drama, comedy, horror, and adventure. Um... Because instead of doing it like, you know, how big award shows do it to where if they don't know where something fits in, they just put it into comedy, we chose adventure instead. That seems maybe a little more fun. <laughs> I don't know where this fits, so it might just might, or I guess that means it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, me and Jirai were the ones setting up these lists, and there was one where we were like, I don't know what it is, like comedy maybe, maybe drama Maybe adventure. I was like, I mean, drama's kind of stacked right now. Let's just throw it in adventure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that you say that, I feel like that's what they did with Parasite. Just oh, best yeah. dark comedy in ages. <laughs> 100%. Parasite, like, uh, I remember when you watched it, I was super confused on what the movie was supposed to be because, like, the way that the trailers portrayed it, I thought it was going to be a horror movie at first, and then it became a dark comedy with, like, a weird dramatic element to it. And so it kind of explains why whenever they're like, Parasite, the best film of the year. Cool, what genre is it? A film. <laughs> See, but when I watched, okay, never mind. I don't want to get into Parasite. I was going to say, when I watched it, I, I, I never like laughed like a lot. You know, it was, it, was, it was an engrossing movie, but I never like laughed at it the whole time. I think we'll get into that when we talk about Parasite. But yeah, uh, after we do the best of genres, because I felt like every movie that we watched this year deserve some place that they might shine, whereas just on a best top five or worst, might not have a time to uh, get spoken about. And I think everything that we watched this year deserves at least a word from one of us about it. But after we get done with the best of genres, we are going to go month by month through all of the content that we've put out in the year, starting from when we started the podcast in November and December. We're going we're gonna to put the November and December of 2019 together because those were kind of weird months. Um, and then we're going to go, what was the best of each of these months and whatever we decide the best of those months are we're going to put those to the side for later and then from all the lists that we have remaining we are going to decide what was the worst of those and then once we figure out the top three worst movies that we watched on the podcast this year we're going to go to those 12 that we set aside and we're going to figure out what was the top three best that we watched for the podcast in the year and that will be how we end our uh, list, our rankings off is the top and then um, I believe after all of that uh, will come our very special Christmas episode in December so keep an eye out for that. Another thing that you might notice on this recording is the audio is a little different. Um, not everybody is in studio right now because a couple of us had COVID scares at our day jobs so we're doing the responsible thing and not getting near each other in a group. So you might uh, notice uh, a difference in audio. Because you know we give the minimum effort at least. <laughs> at least. Uh, but with all that being said I guess let's let's start it. Um I want to start with with Robbie on this one for our top threes. Robbie, of all the movies, personally, for you, what was your 
third place movie that we watched for the podcast. So yeah, like I'm looking through it and like I didn't even really place them, but I would say that um <laughs> well you sort of need to place them. It's a top favorites. three. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought we were talking about potential top threes. No, no, this why, is like, personal each top movie threes has a potential. Right no, this is personal top, top threes. threes right now. We should reschedule for next week. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell Robbie figures it out to think so, about it. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, speaking of which, um, I guess I'll say for my number three, uh, I wasn't here for that episode, but personally, one of my favorite horror movies of all time is The Thing. And fucking good. It is. It's very good. Uh I love the body horror element of it. I love the sense of paranoia that goes along with it. Uh, I feel like all the actors did an amazing job for that movie for it being what was technically a critical flop of its time. And I'm glad that it gets recognition deserves now. But uh, I feel like that movie was very pivotal in kind of shaping my taste in horror movies as I grew up. So I would say at the very least, like that one is number three on my top 10 list but we watched a lot of movies that kind of i felt made me grow i don't want to say as a critic but you know something that are uh, but something that kind of grew my or helped me grow my taste of movies this year and but for one that i didn't even watch on the podcast because i was away that time for like things that i uh even though i wasn't here for that though it was pivotal for that so i'd say like that's probably three on the list cool what about potential other top threes is <laughs> that a separate list uh what maybe other ones could have been top three this is the what if top three <laughs> um all right let's move over to e e what is your right. third place winner what's your bronze all right so i'm gonna say this was the hardest decision for me personally yeah i actually all... had a really hard time getting the top threes together too yeah but um it was a really close call but I think for number three, I'm personally going to go with It's Such a Beautiful Day. Okay. Um, This was an interesting one because I watched it like four days before we did it on the podcast. And that watch, I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And like, I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. But on the rewatch, I really like started to love it. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Like, and I think it really... I don't think there's a movie that really can like explain the feeling of losing your memories and Alzheimer's in the way that this movie did. Cause visually there's nothing like this movie there. Yeah. No movie has even attempted something like this. Just the blending of all the visual mediums like this movie does to the point where like, it's hard to even say what this movie is in terms of medium because like you want to call it an animated movie but so much of it really isn't animated right so like it's... even the stuff that is animated like just the way that it's done is so unique with having the certain blotches on screen where you see what's happening yeah and it's such it's again like it's such a beautiful movie and there's not really a good another way to say that and it's a movie that I really just love and it kind of came out of nowhere because this was my second choice of the movie I wanted from this director. I just oh. couldn't find the first one. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. So, yeah. And it really 
is amazing. There's nothing really I dislike about this movie. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. 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 Okay. I could. Yeah, I think I could agree with that. There's nothing that I look at and be like, uh, it could have used this or this. Like, everything feels like it's exactly in place. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Just narrowly beating other movies, It's Such a Beautiful Day, is my number three. All right. Let's move on over to Rocky. Um. So, for my top three, I just picked movies that I had the most of an emotional connection to. I thought you were going to say, for my top three, I just picked some movies I haven't seen before. So <laughs> I rolled the dice on this one, man. So we're going to start <laughs> with End of Days. End of Days. Went to- <laughs> so I put all the movies in a raffle, and I just picked it from a hat. <laughs> <laughs> I said, End of Days, you're number three. Um, I chose Hereditary for mm. my number three because it's absolutely fucking traumatizing to me. <laughs> I watched that movie. <laughs> that that movie is pretty fucking uh, traumatizing, and um, it's not like a movie. So I've done the thing where I watch a really upsetting horror movie, and I'm like, ah, oh, oh, now I got to show everyone else how upsetting that movie is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do. I'm like, isn't it awful? And I'll have like a weird smile while I watch the person watch the awful stuff this i couldn't do it with this movie because that this movie is that that fucked up to me like i couldn't watch this movie over and over again because the concept of grief in it is very jarring um and it's i feel like it's a really good piece to uh midsomner which i we, we haven't really watched on this podcast but between the two it's the between going to grief and the process of leaving grief, it's it's really interesting to watch. But more importantly, why this made my top three is the processing of grief and what that does, especially to your mental health, is that I feel like was placed on film so effectively, it really made me not want to watch the movie again to the point where the horror elements of that movie actually take a step aside. And yeah. so just because of how effective it is at doing that, I think that's very successful in my mind and so that's why I put it on my as my number three yeah honestly like when I first watched it I think the horror was definitely the thing that I focused on the most um yeah even the big dramatic scene in the middle that's super horrific um actually I'm gonna say for this entire list if you haven't seen any of these movies this is your last chance uh we're gonna be pretty open about spoilers here I think it's impossible not to be open about spoilers when we're talking about the things that we loved about these movies or hated about them um so this is your final chance for anything that we watched this year um if you haven't seen it there's completely open spoilers so yeah in the uh halfway point I'm gonna say in hereditary when the little girl gets her fucking head chopped off by the pole when she's driving by the car um that was such a revolution to me of like filmmaking and horror and drama of being able to just uh Pun not really intended here. Uh, Sideswipe the audience in a way (laughs) that (laughs) um, just like takes them so completely off guard. Because that was that was the last thing I was expecting from like all the advertising. Because it showed it being this uh, little girl horror movie who's possessed, and then when it turns into not this creepy little girl movie and into this family drama about how do you deal with one of the I don't know worst griefs you could imagine. It really does just sort of change, I think, in a lot of ways, change what you can expect from horror, or really good horror anyway. And it puts it up to another echelon, to where it's not just horror. This would have been a good horror movie if the 
director had fucked up the grief part. And because yeah. he'd be like, he'd watch like, ha ha, you didn't expect the little girl to die, did you? But then it's like, <laughs> just the context of grief around that whole thing just makes it fucking horrific because of how um, everything comes together extremely well. I mean, just the relationship between the son who was driving his little sister at that time. Yeah. Makes all of that just fucking grotesque, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's why that movie that movie I'll, I may never I might never watch that movie again not because like it's like oh the movie that shall not be named or something stupid just it's because it's a very heavy uh cin- cinematic experience mm-hmm. you know so I don't know anyone who just like oh you know what I need I need a real fucking downer <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> that sounds like something I would say yeah well maybe but say. you're hardcore <laughs> I'm not that hardcore <laughs> I was gonna. The interesting thing for me about Hereditary, honestly, was because of how much happens in that movie, a lesser director could have made three movies just off of the script of this one film. He could have made a movie about a possessed little girl, about a movie about um, a family dealing with drama, and then another movie about possession uh, of an older son with it. And but instead, like they combine them together and like. It almost felt like they took those three elements and they blended them together so well that it just made this phenomenal film. Yeah, it's almost a sick joke, honestly, of like, hey, everybody, come and see this horror movie. Haha, actually, deal with all the horrible grief of losing loved ones. (laughs) 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 All right. So Rocky's three is hereditary. And um, my three is... Also, it's such a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, good. I was thinking about putting uh, that as my three, too, because uh, it's such a beautiful day was a very good movie. And we had a very good conversation afterwards uh, yeah. with that movie. It's it's a hard movie to watch and honestly, a really hard movie to talk about just because it really its entire point is to make you feel, I don't know, sad and burdened and happy and life it's it's meant to make you yeah, feel life it's it's a it's movie really about confronting death almost yeah uh this that movie deals with a lot of very like and it's one of the reasons why i said when we first watched it that i would have a hard time recommending it to people because i know people that have a very hard time talking and dealing with those concepts yeah like whether it's death or dealing with a you know the slow decline of health or you know mental health or dementia and all those other they're, they're heavy subjects to deal with, and that movie deals with them in a very good way. But I can see that movie being too heavy for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, for but sure. It, it's not something you bring does... to, like, a party. Right. <laughs> don't, don't bust that out at the Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Yeah. <laughs> or do. It counts how you feel about your family. Hey, hey, Grandpa. I know you don't recognize me. Uh, here's this movie about Alzheimer's. Uh, everybody's going to love it. It's about Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a couple... Uh, really great monologues from It's Such a Beautiful Day that I really, really like. Uh, so I wrote them down because I just, I want them to be conveyed out there. Hopefully this teases people into going and watching it if they didn't already watch it um, from our recommendations from our episode, which we have rated it very highly on that one. Uh, I wish somebody would go through and just get all the ratings from everything because there's no way I'm doing that. Maybe in the future we should write those down and save them. <laughs> I, th- I, I think that might be the second highest rated movie on the podcast. I think it might be, yeah. Um, But yeah, here's this quote I really like. The next thing you know, you're looking back instead of forward. And now, at the climax of all those years of worry, sleepless nights, and denials, 
Bill finally finds himself staring his death in the face, surrounded by people he no longer recognizes and feels no closer attachment to than the thousands of relatives who'd come before him. And as the sun continues to set, he finally comes to realize the dumb irony in how he had been waiting for this moment his entire life, this stupid, awkward moment of death that had invaded and distracted so many days with stress and wasted time. There's that one, and then there's this other one that is fucking insane, that's near the end of the movie. But I think it kind of encapsulates what the movie is entirely, so I'm going to read that one too. He will spend hundreds of years traveling the world, learning all there is to know. He will learn every language. He will read every book. He will know every land. He will spend thousands of years creating stunning works of art. He will learn to meditate to control all pain. As wars will be fought and great loves found and lost. And found, lost, and found, and found, and found, and memories built upon memories until life runs on an endless loop. He will father hundreds of thousands of children whose own exponential offspring he will slowly lose track of through the years whose millions of beautiful lives will all, eventually, be swept again from the earth. And still, Bill will continue. He will learn more about life than any being in history, but death will forever be a stranger to him. People will come and go until names lose all meaning, until people lose all meaning and vanish entirely from the world. And still, Bill will live on. He will befriend the next inhabitants of the earth, beings of light, who revere him as a god, and Bill will outlive them all for millions and millions of years, exploring, learning, living, until the earth is swallowed beneath his feet, until the sun is long since gone, until time loses all meaning and the moment comes that he only knows the positions of the stars and sees them, whether his eyes are closed or open, until he forgets his name and the place he'd once come from. He lives and he lives until all the lights go out. And that's near the end of the movie where he's... um. Going over kind of what ifs. What if you didn't die? What if you just kept on going? And it just goes into this insane thing. And well, this is it. Like he just keeps going, and everything around him changes, and everything. Yeah, it's just, it's a it's a really really beautiful movie. Honestly, I need to check that movie out. I didn't know it existed. It's I'll really good. Honestly, neither did I until E brought it up. Like I did not expect to have this weird like existential beautiful moment in my mind while watching this movie, especially coming from E, who's like classically his favorite movie is Ed and Eddie's Big Picture Show. So I like didn't expect this movie. I don't know why that <laughs> would set any red flags for you. <laughs> so I just I did not expect expect that type of film, and it was a uh, it was incredible, honestly. All right. So to recap, so far, top threes for me and E. It's such a beautiful day for Robbie, the thing, and for Rocky, Hereditary. All right. Let's move on to our number twos. Let's start with E. All right. Um, this one was definitely put on here just for how impressive it was for me going in without knowing anything. And that will be Parasite. Oh. Yeah. Like, this movie is mostly here just because it was not anything I expected. Like, when I... It's a lot of it is just how modern this movie is, but it feels nothing like a Hollywood movie. None of it is by the books there's no happy ending at the end of this movie it's all raw just raw humanity yeah is a big is a way i would put it it is just very very like life sucks (laughs) capitalism sucks and this is the issue when you just let it go this is what happens 
to the people in the cracks of society, essentially. This is what happens to those you don't want to hear about. And, like, just going through and seeing a modern movie describe it was impressive, for lack of a better word. There just is no movie like Parasite. I think it's funny because this movie really takes some serious shots at classism and it was paraded by like the elite of hollywood too yeah like there's <laughs> this weird fucking perverse situation yeah. to me well that's one of the hilarious things like if you look there's a bunch of like celebrities and like i think it was like elon musk was like yeah this was my favorite movie of that year and it's like you guys are idiots. This is movies about how you're all awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, it's just like stuff like that, like that it can take that and put it in a way that's really palatable for the average person that's to watch, even if like they don't realize what the actual message behind it is. And that goes to just how like, well, how like good of a movie standalone it is is that so many people will just enjoy it it's just it's just amazing all around i don't know really how else to describe it yeah i would say it's a good movie on top of being an incredibly well done think piece yeah i can agree with that i was actually gonna say um with e saying uh it's take on classism in a weird way because of some of the video essays i've been listening to at work uh, thinking about it, this movie in a weird way is anti-Disney because Disney's been going on this whole big uh, trade. I'll get to it. Like, Dry's giving me that confused look. <laughs> um, it's anti-Disney in the way that like Disney will make these movies, but they'll never say or uh, they'll always say like individuals are bad, but corporations are big are, you know, bigger. Like the bigger picture isn't always that bad. Like whenever they did a remake of Mary Poppins. Uh, and the bank at the end of it, like gives the family back its house, uh, kind of devoiding the meaning of the original movie as a way of saying like the corporation isn't bad. There's just bad individuals. And then this movie <laughs> was tackling it in such a way to say that, you know, it's ingrained in society in such a way that it's invisible to most people. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it takes that. that, it takes that complex narrative and it puts it in a palatable way that Apparently, some people can understand, but not everybody. There's people that will have a disconnect to reality. And whenever E was saying that, like Elon Musk was saying that this is one of his favorite movies, even though it kind of like directly tells Elon Musk to go fuck himself. <laughs> uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, a another harsh subject would be the shootings that happened in Aurora during the time of The Dark Knight Rises. And I remember one of the things that I heard about during that time was uh, David Drake. Might be saying his name wrong. David Draymond, the lead singer of Disturbed, apparently went on social media and started going on this whole big tirade of like, who brings their kids to the our movie theater anyways? You guys should have just uh, hired a babysitter to go watch a movie instead. And it kind of showed his disconnect to reality of yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's the problem is that they let yeah, their kids get shot. Not that somebody yeah. was shot in a the theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it showed his disconnect for reality for something like this or for something like that. Which it kind of just remind me of that, which some people just have that disconnect to reality and they don't sometimes they don't realize whenever a jab is being taken at them for cases like you, you guys said, like Hollywood's leak going like, yeah, this is a really great movie. Everyone should watch it, even though they it very clearly is saying like these people are bad. What, what you said about Disney, I think that's 
That's very true. I think particularly Americans tend to individualize problems where it becomes easy to villainize a person without realizing that the system is fucked. Yeah. And the problem what this does is there is this disconnect from both sides because you take off somebody, you take out somebody who's a part of that system, right? And then someone else replaces it. You're like, how did this happen? It's like, because the system creates these people, you know, that house is sort of like the big specter in a way, yeah. you know, and like it's fighting to stay in it. Right. You know I mean? Everyone's fine to stay in it, but there's not really like just one person that you can point at and say, that's the bad guy. There's just a lot of gray areas. You can see good people doing bad things in a weird way in that movie. And it does it, it like I think dry said during the uh, podcast of it is like, it puts a very complex situation, makes it very palatable of like, you can point at this and say like, this is a good way to describe this happening. Yeah. Yeah. I guess another good example of something like that too was uh, because I listened to the rate, like the radio a lot for probably like the first like four years of the job that I worked at whenever <laughs> I was in Salt Lake City. To radio. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I am the oldest one on this podcast. That's true. <laughs> but no, what I was going to say was another person with like disconnect was um, one of the guy or one of the radio hosts had this huge rant uh, during one of the things. Cause they had a thing called D bag of the day. And that they did at the end of the, uh, the day of like someone who like just needs to be called out for especially being a douchebag that day. And one day he called out Chris, Chris Hemsworth because I guess Chris Hemsworth during a interview had said that like, yeah, I kind of felt that, you know, once I got famous and once I became rich, that it would fix all my problems. But it really didn't. And then he just like went on this whole big tirade of like uh, to think that was as to kind of have a super disconnect to reality and to kind of think that money will solve all your problems with it too. And, um, kind of, he went on this whole big tirade of like how life is more complicated than that. Yeah, I guess (laughs) I had a point to make here. (laughs) What that point was. No, one will know. (laughs) Like I said, it just kind of shows like a disconnect of like, I said like the rich compared to the poor, but I guess the poor also do that sense too. Like, there's a lot of people, especially this year that I heard that um, did the whole like uh, every single one of my problems could be fixed with um, all right, if I had enough money to fix it. Once again, I had a point here. You can probably just cut this all out if you wanted to. <laughs> no, no. The end of your stuff. That's not really getting edited. It is what it is. <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of problems can be solved if you have the money to solve them. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Can, but like. I think it kind of also shows that uh, connect between that two of them, too, because uh, the rich family in that movie had their problems, but so did the poor family. But they the poor family just tried to make it seem like everything would be fixed if they had the money and they had that big house and everything. And if anything, it actually made their lives more complicated and caused more problems. I would argue their life got better until the other family that they pushed out of having stuff came into it because then their lives got worse because they had less money to the point they couldn't feed so here's my thing. I think that the people who do this feel like having more money will solve your emotional problems. Yeah. That you won't feel inadequate around other people and stuff. And that's bullshit. You're still going to have to deal with that. That's entirely different. But money does solve security issues. Right. And anyone who's ever had security issues know how shitty those issues are. Yeah. Right. For anyone who's actually been one paycheck away from being homeless. Exactly. I feel like some of these people, they're already probably like low middle class or something, you know, and then they they 
they come, so they're already comfy. They haven't been super poor because if you're super poor, you kind of initially know, like, I just need enough money to fucking survive. I don't know what this dickhead's talking about, right? <laughs> but like, but it, so you're already kind of cushy because you don't have to deal with initial survival. But you have emotional problems. You're like, man, if I had enough money, everyone would notice me. That's not true. Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Thank for put. Thank you for putting it in a way that was better than my way. <laughs> Well, no, I think I think it's like a 50 I can English today. Money's not going to solve all of your problems, and life can be really miserable if you still have money, but you're fucked up. Right. And there's things you need to fix, right? But there's also the other side where having no money can really fuck up your life, too. You know, I mean, this is just the reality. I mean, that's the issue of, like, equality, right? Trying to make sure people can have access to wealth. You don't want to just look at a large group of people like, oh, don't worry. The money's not good anyway. It's not. <laughs> you don't need it. I don't even like having three cars. I know. It's, it's like, so it's like it's like a, it's like anything else. It's a juggling act. There needs to be balance. Right. The point I was trying to make was that uh, there's some poor people who justify being shitty people because they're poor, but there's also people who are rich that kind of justify being shitty because they're rich. Right. Isn't like I said, the way that I was trying that? to explain that kind of came out fuckwardly. Isn't there a statistic out there that rich people tend to be more immoral than people with less money? Well, yeah, to have that much money, you have to step over people. It's kind of. Well, they're also saying that um, a good example of something like that was uh, the Stanford prison experiment, because they say that, like, you know, you put people in this uh, power dynamic versus like this uh, powerless dynamic and stuff like that and how it become it can become abusive really quickly the thing about that that was mostly done with um like the poorest kids in that experiment were middle class still and they're saying that like you put similar situations for people like um i think they did a similar experiment with um these uh like this tribe in south africa wherever they actually like gave um they kind of gave them like this concept of money and they show them like how you can make more money off of people and stuff like that. And what they did is they actually did everything that they could instead of like, you know, someone trying to take all the wealth, they did what they could to spread it out evenly amongst everybody. So no one would have to suffer. And so it, it's always like that kind of dynamic between like kind of counts on like the environment that you're born into. So like, um, I don't know, I guess that also would be another weird experiment. Cause they, st- you know, they would say like, you know, you put a bunch of people on an, an Island, you have a Lord of the Flies situation, but that's not always the case. It just counts on, how they grew up beforehand. You put a bunch of Americans on an island. Do you have a yeah. Lord of the Flies situation? Yeah, that's the issue with a lot of these studies is they're very often like, okay, we looked at a bunch of Amer- white middle-class Americans, so this is how life is, clearly. Yeah. This is, apparently this uh, goes for everybody because we did it with a bunch of white kids from Harvard, and yeah. they're the best of the yeah. best, so they're going to be the best example of this. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you, you can only make that that call for that, culture group that that's what that culture group does and then it's also also the environment they you know what i mean like so like 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 americans particularly you're pretty much raised at a young age that life is going to be competitive right yeah and so i mean it's it's you're kind of raised in like this capitalistic society and like how you're supposed to thrive in said capitalist society and i think living in the internet age some of them are starting to slowly realize that that's not the case for literally the rest of the world. Yes, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's strikingly narcissistic, but I mean, you got to enjoy the shit show while it lasts because it can't last forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's right now we're in kind of a landslide of just this toxic culture. Yeah. Shit. 
I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right. So that was ease number two. Parasite. <laughs> All right. Let's go on over to Rocky. What's your number two, sir? So I chose one that was very particular to my heart. I really like the whaling. So I chose the whaling as my number two. I just love that movie is just so fun to watch. And it makes xenophobia so refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> it really makes xenophobia palatable you know yeah it really just you know gives it a, it turns this disgusting thing into a nice drink of cold water it's just you know a new take on xenophobia and i appreciated it um <laughs> uh yeah um no it but it's I just I like the setup. I like that the fact that, for instance, the characters don't really say that much and you feel like you know them very well by the end of the movie. I like how the environments that you watch these characters through tell a story for themselves. I I like that that movie was almost three hours. And for me, it always feels like maybe an hour and 20. I've been sitting there watching it. I like that you can go in that movie and your interpretation of it can be pulled in so many different directions that everyone can potentially get their movie because that's that's how many times it changes and it changes very seamlessly you know i i like i like the humor you know i thought that was a funny movie to a degree i thought that there were some really funny parts and then it turns really dark and i like that they're able to do that with that movie too um so yeah i'd have to say that for me the wailing there's always that thing like, watch, this thing is totally xenophobic. Like, the director's <laughs> going to come out saying that he just hates Japanese people. <laughs> There's always a part of me that's waiting for the shit to drop. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it is what it is until that point, right? <laughs> um, but if it's not that, that is, it's, it's, a, it's a really, I like it. You know, it's just, there's a lot of things for me to like in that movie. Yeah. Um, the thing that uh, Robbie said about Hereditary, which was your top, your number three, um, that I think also applies to The Wailing in a lot of ways, is that it does feel like it could be three very different films because of Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3 having very different vibes to the whole thing. Even, I would argue, yeah. very different writing styles in The Wailing between acts. Because the first act is very much like, mock this incompetent cop and like he's so scared of everything. And the second act turns into, like, this almost spiritual, dark movie. And the third act is just like, yo, demons and shit, like, everywhere, am I right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, and there's, like, a 10-minute interlude with zombies. But the thing that's really cool about that third act, though, is you're, like, also, like, maybe there is no demons. Yeah, it does actually do a really convincing job of, like, maybe there actually isn't anything going on here. And it really, again, that's where that xenophobic dime that's constantly midair is that part where it says, because, I mean, you, you take away from it, it's like, you're either like, well, maybe this dude's a demon, maybe there's not, maybe he's not evil, and this is on their heads. Or if it's xenophobic, it's like, well, maybe Japanese people do suck, right? Like, that's <laughs> that's the part I'm afraid of. <laughs> it's really just like the director's very frustrated. He's like, I literally put it in front of them, how awful these people are. And they... <laughs> And they try to make it something else. Exactly. That's what I'm afraid of. But so I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see as to how that movie looks as um, time continues. You know? The Wailing really is fantastic. Like uh, you brought up that it doesn't feel like three hours. Well, every time I think about that movie and it, the three hour thing is brought up, I'm 
actually very shocked because even watching it, it didn't feel like three hours, at least for me. Yeah, like it gave you enough questions and slowly unraveled certain answers throughout the whole thing that you never really felt like you were in a limbo of a long movie. Like, let's say uh, Deer Hunter, for instance. <laughs> Where you can feel every second of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? That movie feels longer than it is, quite frankly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Uh, Rocky's number two, The Wailing. All right, Robbie, what's your number two? So originally it was going to be Parasite, but it can still I'm be trying Parasite. To do this thing. It can yeah, still be can, Parasite, but I'm trying to do this thing. Can we talk about it some more? Yeah, no, just keep talking about it. Because, yeah, once again, this is a movie that we talked about quite a bit because, like, this in a beautiful day we talked about a lot because there's a lot to unpack with the, those movies. But I'm trying to, like, make my top three not the same as everybody else's. Even Andrew, because, I, like, I'm, both had it's such a beautiful day as our number three. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. I'm not convinced that Jirai's not also going to say Parasite for number two. <laughs> that would be really great. <laughs> <laughs> we may no, as well just look up a... like Karl Marx quotes on our phone and just just do this from the beginning. From the beginning. <laughs> of... <laughs> yeah, that was a movie. Uh, Parasite and Hereditary were both movies that I walked into with a totally different expectation of what the movie actually was. And ended up being better than I expected it to be. The Parasite was just a little bit higher for me than Hereditary was. Okay. And like with really good movie. that, there there was a couple times, like even though like Rocky was saying there it, uh, in Parasite, there was moments where he couldn't really laugh at it. There are still parts that like, I don't know if it was meant to make me laugh, but it still did. So, yeah. So here's the thing, like for like, it's not that I don't like, that's not a critique of mine on the movie. Cause I think that movie's fantastic. I just never watched it. Like if no one told me it was a comedy, I never would have just, I would never have sold it as a dark comedy. I would like it's a, I wouldn't have given it a, a genre because it's not really even a drama because it's too close to comedy to be like a drama. Right. But it's very, very close to drama. So I'd like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given it. That's why I thought Jariah's joke was hilarious because I thought Parasite fit into that. Like, well, we don't know what to fucking call this movie. It's a goddamn comedy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think like, it might be in our adventure column now. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> just keeps on moving. That might just be me, though. It might just be my type of sense of humor. No, but. I kind of agree with you. Like, it really is hard to just pin it down to one thing. And some of that, I wonder if it's because it is from a foreign perspective. Like, we Americans really like our three act structures and kind of putting everything into these neat little boxes. So when like foreign uh, directors come in, it often does kind of doesn't like fit as neatly yeah yeah you're right yeah um one thing that i do want to bring up that we also didn't bring up in our parasite episode this movie has parasite has the most awkward and i might argue a realistic sex scene oh yeah it's just so fucking awkward like it's a scene in the movie where the little kid is outside uh camping and then the parents are laying on the couch and they start just like going ham on each other in, like, a really awkward, uncomfortable way that, like, two people might actually just start doing stuff. I, mean, I think it's, we kind of brought it up, like, in the podcast for it, but I think that was more of, like, the weird fetish angle that it had. Weird like, that they were angle. getting off. To, yeah, because they were, like, getting off to the idea that it was, like, one of them was, like, a poor <laughs> right, <yeah>. person. <laughs> yeah. You know, how attractive um, it is to fuck poor people. Yeah. <laughs> 
You know, I, mean, I don't remember that scene very well. I just remember it's, the part where, like, the promise of drugs was exchanged. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll do it if you can get me the drugs I like. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, like, what, what, like, it's when they're, like, hiding under the table. Yeah. It's really weird. Well, what made me I actually laugh at that scene, too, but not because of the sex scene, but because of, like, when the dad's trying to crawl away and then he realizes that the parents are still awake and he just freezes on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then, like... If the parents were to like look where his feet were, they would just see feet just dragging off into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> that is There's that and like the scene where they're like, "We have ghosts in this house." One day, our young little boy woke up to uh, uh to get, uh, get some food, and he saw a man staring at him, and like you just see like these insane eyes staring at the fridge. And all I could think of while watching that is like the guy. Looking up uh, at the fridge, going, "Ooh, cake!" <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they forgot. <laughs> one, one scene that I did, I, I did laugh at, like, because I'm not saying it, it's not a funny movie. I just would never characterize it as that. But um, is when the dude comes out, who was who's been in the basement the entire time, comes outside and stabs the the daughter. Yeah. Of the other family and the 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 head of the household, that guy, he's just looking so shocked at this random dude he's never seen before. And the dude looks at him and goes, Respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty good one too. I forgot about that. <laughs> that one was really good. Cause like the guy's like bleeding to death on the ground while he's looking at him going, Respect too. To just kind of add fuel to the fire of that scene. Yeah, that, that's um, really good. <laughs> also, speaking of like how that movie didn't exactly have like a happy ending, the more you look into that ending, the the sadder it actually is. Because you know how the son kind of tries to bring that message back to his father, saying that he's going to save up money and he's going to buy that house from that family, and he's going to are so that way he doesn't have to live in that basement for the rest of his life, and he's going to do what he can to save him. Uh, somebody asked the director if realistically. If he actually saved up to buy that house and he didn't spend a single dime of his money, uh, how or how long would it take him to save up to buy that house? And the director told him 527 years. So realistically, Jeez. it's never going to happen. So it kind of goes even more into how this is all just a pipe dream for him. And it's something that he's holding on to, but it's never going to happen because it's just not in the cards for him. Yeah, it's the American dream. <laughs> Don't. Kind of. Well, like, I guess also speaking about another American thing that I told Drya, and I think I, I had this moment, or I think there was this moment where I broke him for like half a second, is whenever I told him the statistic of how much homeless people there are in America compared to how many empty houses that there are. And like, realistically, for how much houses that there are in America, uh, we could give every single homeless person 10 houses and still have houses left over. Yeah. For that. Kind of showing with like the whole capitalistic society of it. It's almost like it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, it's also that, I mean, this country values property over, I mean, that's how you equate your worth. I mean, what you own. Right, right, yeah. right. right. And I guess um, like another... It's only what you can steal from the other person is how much you're worth. But yeah, I guess like, it, it, like since we can just like layer them, I would say like that's what I wanted to say was my sec or it was number two was Parasite. If I had to choose a different movie, I'd probably say Risk Cutters. Well, you can't. <laughs> well, fuck you. Parasite's definitely making Damn a lot you in your it seems, boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robbie's number two, Parasite. Which means, for me, my number two is Parasite. No, no. 
Cameo in your rules. <laughs> the new rule we'll is be, Parasite has to be number two. We'll be listing the top three movies, and, the, and Parasite's going to just take all three. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, for me, it is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, that movie was another thinker movie. It's just really good. Like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a fucking guy that just really likes sad shit for some reason. And sad shit that involves a relationship also just fucking hits me. So, I don't know why, but like, it's just, it's my fucking bag. And so with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind being this entire thing of like, having to, or not having to, but making the choice of erasing something or somebody from your life and the ultimate question coming up being of like is it's not really worth it or is it worth it to erase something horrible in your memory um even if it's something that wasn't for you like it's never going to be worth it because the memories and the lessons you learn from all this pain are going to help you develop into a better person all that kind of thing it's like when your parents let you uh, like touch the hot stove and like you got to learn some point not to fucking keep touching the hot stove but if you touch the stove and then forget you touch the hot stove and you just keep touching the hot stove, you're going to burn your fucking hand off. <laughs> it's like if someone always put their hand in the water to see if it was boiling or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like that. E. <laughs> or, you know, maybe like putting ice inside of a deep fryer to see if it's still hot. <laughs> I don't think Rocky was seeing if the deep fryer was still hot. I think he knew it was hot. I, want, I think he wanted to see how hot it was. No, I, I didn't know how... Ice cube, like I didn't know that that would happen. You know, I thought that, like, I because we tried one, and I was just curious because I thought, oh, I'm going to melt this thing really quick. And then it I want to see how fast. How, I, I want to like, oh, I like that sound. I want to see how fast I can melt this ice. Yeah, I was like, this is going to be cool. This thing's gone. It's like it's like like just gone. And then it screamed. I was like, now that's unique. And so I did another one. <laughs> Robbie's like, came in. He's like. What are you doing, Rocky? And I was like, I want to hear them scream. And I just dropped it and it screamed. And Robbie pretty much was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I did another one. And then we walked away for a second. We didn't think about it. And then no, no, it no. exploded. What happened is I walked into the kitchen and you're just standing above the deep fryer staring at it. And I had no idea what the hell you were doing. So out of context, I just hear, I like to hear them scream. Staring into a <laughs> fucking deep fryer. <laughs> Yeah, and we walk. And I'm very happy we walked away because I would have got the shit burning. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there's a nice little metaphor for eternal sunshine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like sticking ice eternal in a deep sunshine of a spotless mind is telling you not to throw ice in a deep fryer. Yeah, I almost put that on my top three. Uh, I almost made number three for me, and I kind of just because I hadn't watched it in such a long time, I kind of. But that one that has a special place with me too yeah it, it's really great i like it mixes sci-fi with kind of romance but kind of not romance and just like going through all of these memories kind of like how somebody who's like just got through a breakup would go through all of their old memories and be like wow this is awful but it's when it's happening right away like right when you're done with the breakup you have all of these awful things like if you're breaking up with somebody right you're like oh, it's all the awful things you're thinking of it's never any of the good things and then like the more you think of it and the more time passes the more all the things that you actually really enjoyed about it come back to you uh like the small little things that they do or the little conversations that you've had and the connections that you've made with that person and all that comes rushing back to you after a while and i think that this movie shows that so well with the sci-fi thing of him experiencing these memories too while they're being erased from him um even so much so leading to the point to where at the very end he wants to try again 
uh, with Clementine. Joel does our main character. There's one scene for me that really encapsulates this entire film. I put it in chat if somebody else wants to read the uh, Clementine lines, and I'm going to read the Joel lines off, just because it's, it's the one scene for me that, like, it's, it, this is kind of the movie, this one scene. I, I'll do the Clementine I, for you. All right. Joel in the house on the beach. I have to go. I have to catch my ride. So go. I did. I thought maybe you were a nut, but you were exciting. I wish you had stayed. I wish I had stayed too. Now, I wish I had stayed. I wish I'd done a lot of things. I wish I had... I wish I had stayed. I do. Well, I came back downstairs and you were gone. I walked out. I walked out the door. Why? I don't know. I, I felt like a scared little kid. I was like... It was above my head. I don't know. You were scared? <laughs> yeah. I thought you knew that about me. I ran back to the bonfire, trying to outrun my humiliation, I think. Was it something I said? Yeah. You said, so go. With such disdain, you know? Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Joel walking out. Jolie? What if she stayed this time? I walked out the door. There's no memory left. Come back and make up a goodbye, at least. At least, let's pretend we had one. Joel comes back. Clementine walks down the stairs towards him. Bye, Joel. I love you. Meet me in Montauk. I don't... Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember. you got it. But, like, okay. that, that scene to me is so great, because that's the last memory that's being erased, and it's just him realizing that, like, it, it could have been more. He wishes he did this, or he wishes he did that. And him just wanting to have... If it has to be goodbye, him wanting to have a real goodbye, not just, I don't know, in this day and age, I guess what would be referenced to is like a text breakup. Like, you don't just break up with someone through text. Like, say a real goodbye. Like, let let everybody have that at least. It's kind of like the personification of like, I should have said this during that time. Yeah, like, and like, like, you're, like it's shower thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Like that shower thought you have in your, or you have of like, I should have done this. And like, you kind of play out the scenario of how you wish it happened in your head. Yeah. You guys do that, really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I really, I usually sing in the shower myself. It's because he's got a different view on life. You should take one from his book. Yeah, I should start <laughs> singing out what I should have done now. <laughs> it works really well with those vodka showers. Yeah. No, that's not healthy, though. You can't, you shouldn't do that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not healthy, but like, that's, that's what it, that's what that, I think, movie that's... encapsulates so well. Yeah. Uh, that kind of hindsight's 2020 moment only played out. Right. Movie. Yeah. But I know this is going to sound fucking whack as shit, but it's the truth. Those moments and how they played out made you who you are today. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's what that movie does really well, like with having the memories being erased and like you shouldn't just erase those. Like let your wounds be your wounds. That That's who you are. I agree with that. Yeah. Exactly. Stop looking back in time. It <laughs> happened, man. <laughs> Honestly, like. Talking about it again, I kind of see Sunshine of the Spotless Mind having a lot of existential dread, but not quite as much as It's Such a Beautiful Day. Yeah. I really want to see that movie now. It's really yeah. good. It's really I good. I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah. I think every, I think all three of us would highly recommend it. Yeah. But yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, easily Jim Carrey's best serious role in my mind. The charisma with him and Kate Winslet is fucking fantastic, honestly. There's... Uh, another part in the movie when they meet back up after they've kind of realized that they both erased each other and they're having a conversation in a hallway and like 
saying they want to get back together and she's like why like you hate this about me he's like i don't hate you like but you will you will hate this about me and just jim characters care or jim carrey's character saying like okay that's fine let's just do it anyway and i think it's just the perfect lesson in like a two-minute scene of what that movie really is about and she's like yeah like it's fucking it's probably gonna hurt but like let it hurt it's fine it's okay to be hurt yeah yeah so that's my number two eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that's a good one all right to recap number twos Jariah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Robbie, Parasite, E, Parasite, Rocky, The Waiting, Wailing. The Waiting, Wailing. The Waiting, Wailing. The Waiting. It's just the waiting waiter. In, it's, just, it's just waiting in McDonald's drive through <laughs> All right. Which means on to everybody's number one of the year. Let's start it off with Rocky. Um. Yeah, so I literally just had a brain fart because... <laughs> I had just forgotten what the. Uh, yes, so I um, kind of forgot what we're doing. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> well, we're all here right now, so how's your? Um, no, so, uh, I'd have to say Blade Runner, number one for me. Nice. Um, that movie kind of blew me away. With first, I thought it was I, I thought it was a well made movie, but the um, just the message about life, I think kind of was an important message for me at that time. Um, so it kind of was like a movie that came at the right time, you know, kind of just living, living life that it, that it is a finite thing and it's not going to last forever. And so just, you know, that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. Right. And um, this, this other world, this very robotic world where everyone had pos- like positions and titles and they played out those positions and they're very important. You just had these, these entities, I mean, they're, they're robots, but all they, all they had was kind of the, that moment, you know, and just to live that as much as possible. And so you had these real people that didn't seem to live that much life, you know, they're more lost in the roles in life. And you had these others who were deemed lifeless already, and they they lived so much of it, you know. And I thought that 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 message really stuck with me, and I was really impressed with the movie and how, uh, for instance, I was really impressed with how the story played out, and I really thought the scenery was beautiful. Like the the um, it's a very beautifully shot movie, and yeah, I just it's really good. So that was my that was my number one for this year. Awesome. Yeah, like, honestly, um, I th- we brought it up on the podcast episode for Blade Runner, uh, which, for those of that, you that don't know or are listening to this for some reason without all the other episodes, we watched the final cut of that, uh, so anything we bring up uh, involves the final cut of the film. The thing about, like, living your life to its fullest, we brought up, and it's so weird because it's such a strange point in it, because, like, the, the villain, or what the movie makes out to be the villain in it, the android, um, he's not really like a bad guy he does some bad things he definitely does some bad things he murders, he murders some people <laughs> but all he really wants to but do if you look past the if murders. you look past all the murder that he does he really does just want to like be left alone to like live his life and yet he did he done a whole murder he did all the murder to like try and get more life yeah sure but like yeah that's really all he wants is just to be able to live his life to the extent that he wants to i feel like i exist society uh, that really needs validation on who they are from the people around them. And more importantly, um, for instance, there's, there's, you know, the, the idea of virtue signaling, 
and how people despise it, but that's so integrated into, you know, it's like, look, I'm a good guy. Don't you see, you know, <laughs> see how good I am. And it's just like, and that was what was very refreshing about that role is because there was, there was no definition he the, the for, for that, that Android. He just, who was, who he was, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. Like the, he murdered people. You probably don't want to be around this guy. Yeah, he murdered. Right. Sure. But, he wasn't worried if he was a good guy or a bad guy. He wasn't like, oh, I'm a bad guy now. I have to kill you. He lets the the the, the hero of the story go for no reasons about morality, just because that to him was more important and more valuable. That the, the, the concepts of good and evil or hate or revenge were so far away from his mind, as opposed to just experiencing that moment with him, you know? Yeah. And I feel like in the society that I live in, that's very difficult for people because there's always this constant, like, am I being the right person I need to be in this moment? You know, yeah. that's so deeply ingrained that it was just, it was just, it was a nice, you know, shot at that, which I mean, this was in the eighties too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I guess it runs deep. Right. So he never had to live up to a role. He never had to play a performance. He could just be who he was. I mean, it wasn't going to matter what he did. He was going to be condemned for it anyway, right? Right. So, I mean, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, and I think Blade Runner does something that most films have a really difficult time doing, where it blends style and substance together. Um, And they don't, in my opinion at least, I don't think that they one takes over the other. I think they both have outstanding roles within the film. Um, Nothing feels like it's more than the other thing. It just, it, it, it becomes its own no it becomes blade runner like without one or the other it wouldn't be that thing there's no movie that looks like blade runner but there are tons of movies that try to yeah 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 that's the thing like i've seen blade runner before in so many movies but when i saw blade runner i've never seen blade runner before you know? <laughs> which i think is really cool to be able to it's like it's like seeing all these rivers right and you're like, oh, you go to the ocean. You're like, that's definitely, you know, I've seen it before, but still the fucking ocean. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Cool. All right. So Rocky's number one, Blade Runner. All right. Let's go over to Robbie. So funny enough about uh, what my number one is going to be is um, because of the way that it actually complements the original movie uh, was um, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> that's perfect. Because. Uh, there are a lot of movies that try to do like the whole, like making a sequel 20, 30 years later. None of them did it quite as well as this one did. Like a a, a close second for me was Dr. Sleep. But whenever I think of like what really encapsulated that movie for me was like just a handful of scenes, but everything in Blade Runner 2049 complements the original movie so well that it makes both movies better. And it's so rare to see that in film. And like, that is one of those movies that I thought about a lot afterwards of seeing it. And like, even though both those movies are actually hard to find these days, I went out of my way to find both of those movies. Cause I wanted to buy them and actually oh, like make them part of my collection. Yeah. And like, I didn't really have that feeling until I watched Blade Runner 2049. And like I said, uh, like I said, during that podcast episode is if the original Blade Runner was the foundation, Blade Runner 2049 was the building that they put on top of it. And it is hard to like look at after seeing the sequel it's hard to you know 
have one without the other now. I totally agree. Yeah. And the way that it dealt with every, like, despite that also being a long movie at two hours and 49 minutes long, it also, it feels like, much like with the original Blade Runner, everything that's in there feels like it needs to be in there. Like it's supposed to be in there. There's no fluff. There's no filler. There's like everything that you need to see at that time is, is there. And both those are movies that make you question uh, what's going on, but it also does it in such a way to uh, let you know that the question, like knowing that there's a question there in some ways is more important than the answer. And it also shows that you don't have to be the hero of the story. Like, but it's, still important to play a part, which I think is an important message that not everybody got from that movie. Wow. I, I can't, I couldn't say it better myself actually. Yeah. That's the perfect <laughs> description of that movie. I, I really liked it. And like I said, the more I thought about that movie, the more I fell in love with that movie too. So that, that would probably be my number one for this year. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love Blader 2049. I know in the episode, uh, there were dissent, some dissenting opinions on, uh, its level of greatness. Just me. <laughs> Ian Rocky both had no, different I, I, views. No, I dissent. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm 100% there with you, Robbie. It is so fucking incredible. And it, it takes a lot from the original, um, I would say art direction wise and things like that, and builds on it. And it does so many things on its own that I've never seen in a movie before, art style wise and story wise as well. And like you said, it does raise a lot of questions that it doesn't give you the answers to because you're meant to go and think about those answers on your own in your own time. And it kind of, in a weird way for me, at least it kind of poses those questions in such a way that even if you can't think of an answer, it's okay. It's, it's in some ways more important to ask the question than it is to have the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So Robbie's number one, Blade Runner 2049. And then I'm going to let E be the last person to go here. And I'm going to go ahead and go with my number one, which I don't think anyone's going to see coming. But honestly, this movie was so much fun. Uh, my number one for the year is Terror Vision. It was such a, like, what the fuck am I watching? Like, what did I walk into? Like, every time that I think, even just about this podcast, like, the thing that comes to mind is fucking Terror Vision. Because for me, like, I see a lot of movies, and so it's really hard for something to come across me, I guess or for me to come across something to where I just don't know what the fuck to expect. And this weird alien blob sex movie where this blob comes down and destroys this 80s family who is just so fucking weird and insane. And there's fucking Cleopatra, who I think is actually just Cleopatra, is in the movie, who is hosting, like, this late-night movie show. No, no, it was Medusa. Med oh, Medusa, yeah. Like, it's so, like, what the fuck is that movie? Like, all the characters are so over-characterized in a way to where when I first watched it, I didn't know if they knew what they were doing, but when I thought back about it, they 100% knew the type of movie they were making. And it's so much fun, and out of nowhere, and there's all kinds of weird little silly jokes in there that are like... Like, there's... Okay, so the little blob that comes from outer space through the television, through the satellite cable thing that attacks the family takes over family members like it can imitate them sort of it can imitate their head so at one point in the movie the oh the parents are swingers by the way i guess i should mention that the parents are openly swingers and they have like sex stuff all over their house and so at one point in the movie the kid walks into their parents room and there are both the parents head both the other swingles couples head couples head 
and the grandpa that lives with them's head in the bed, and the kid just accepts that it's happening, and like there's goo everywhere, and like looks like lube, which is uh, a good reason because they literally just used lube for all the alien glue in the movie. And so this kid just walks into this like luby ass room, and he's like, "What the fuck do you want? Get out of here! We're having a good time." And the kid's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, my bad." <laughs> And, like, he just accepts that his grandparent and his parents and this other couple are just fucking in the other room. He's like, nothing weird about that. All right, let's go fuck this alien up. The way that you talk about this movie, I feel like it would complement brain damage really well. Or basket case. Yeah, it would. (laughs) Uh, The movie constantly can just catch you off guard. There is a good, like, 20 minutes where it's just, like, (laughs) E.T. as well. (laughs) It, like, takes a break from this evil alien being the bad guy and it's just like all right now the older sister the sister's boyfriend and the little brother are all just teaching the alien who's a giant blob how to like live in the world yeah it's like here's what music is alien (laughs) here's what food tastes like and there's like giving him thought out fucking frozen dinners and boxes of twinkies (laughs) and like it's so great it's so great it's such a yeah like it is such a insane movie that I don't like I wouldn't well I shouldn't say that but like I don't I completely understand why you would put it so high up yeah like it was just such like a shock to the system because I expected to go in and have it be like this weird cheesy 80s horror movie because Sam brought it to the podcast so that's kind of just what I expected and it was just not that at all no (laughs) like the boyfriend character's name is OD and he's a rocker in this band Who's awful? It's a fucking terrible, like, shitty hair metal band. It's so... I don't know. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's just, like... It is, like, the 80s movie to ever exist. Yeah, and it was made in the 80s, and it knows what it's like. It's mocking the 80s openly. It's very incredibly meta for its time. The way that you talk about that movie, it almost sounds like it's, like, the ultimate cheese whiz for the brain movie, but it makes you think at the same time. It doesn't make you think. I'm not thinking. No. <laughs> oh, okay, so... <laughs> So yeah, it, so it is the ultimate uh, cheese was for the brain movie. But like, just Robbie, something fun. Were you, and were you there for that movie? I wasn't. Same. So <laughs> I have no, to, I have no opinion of this. To be fair, the only person who's actually been there for every single podcast is Drya. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like life happened for me a couple of times, and happened for E a couple of times, and then Rocky just does whatever the fuck he wants. So <laughs> that's not fair. I mean, it's you know. No one ever invites me to this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No one invites me to the podcast I was invited on this week. (laughs) That is an unfair point, but entirely true. (laughs) To be fair, Rocky does make us uh, snail mail him uh, formal invitations every single time to RSVP for these episodes. (laughs) So every week we just have to send out this really nice formal looking letter that is an RSVP to be to come and join us online for this. I haven't seen those in like three months. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, TerraVision. It's great. It's great. There's a part in the movie where the older sister is like trying to get the little brother whose name is Sherman to behave. I think it's like right after the scene where he walks in on his parents fucking actually well not actually his parents it's just the blob fucking itself and then she's like will you shut up about the monster i'm gonna make you take your pill and the boyfriend whose name is od by the way he's like pills what color 
And it's just, I don't know, you have to listen to the lines over, like, I can't, I can't do this movie justice because it's just so frantic and fucking everywhere. It's, it's so funny. It is hilarious. The, the, I think the main weird thing about that movie, too, is it's goddamn impossible to find. Like, the only ways yeah. you can watch it is through, like, a pirated copy or, like, buying it for, like, 200 bucks on Amazon. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Uh, highly recommend it to everybody, though. If you just like really, really off-the-fucking-walls comedy horror things, it's so good. It's so good. So, yeah, Terrorvision, which means, E, you're the last one here. What is your number one? Um, this probably won't be too much of a surprise to like Jirai and Ravi, but my number one is a silent voice. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, it's kind of hard to exactly express how much I genuinely love this movie. And it really came to me at a perfect time. We all, I think everyone has a movie that came at right when you needed it. And this movie kind of did that for me. This is a movie that I enjoy so much that despite how much I don't watch movies, I've seen this movie four or five times in the past two years, quite frankly. And each time I watch it, I just appreciate it more and more personally. And it's a movie that deals with pretty heavy subject matters in a way that I think really is relatable and doesn't feel like it talks down to you or that it's underselling the severity of the movie, but it it's again, it's hard to explain, but like it's a movie where I can see myself in both the main characters constantly. And I understand where they're coming from and what they, why they do what they do. And just like, how well this movie really portrays the concepts of suicide. And I don't think there's really a movie that portrays it as well, in my opinion, because I think a lot of movies are honestly afraid to. But this movie understands what drives people to suicide, because while there's a character who was bullied, and there's definitely that aspect to why she feels so terrible and wants to die the point where she actually goes through with it is arguably the high point. And again, that's something that's realistic, like something that sometimes just having good things happen to you can make you feel shitty and that you don't deserve any of it. And it's a movie that isn't afraid to talk about that. It's a movie that understands that other people don't really understand suicide. Like the mother character has a very realistic reaction to the son wanting to commit suicide. And it's not, it's really arguably not the appropriate reaction, but it's one that I could see my mother reacting with, like this sort of like bargaining anger almost. And something that was brought up during the podcast that I've really mulled over since then is this idea that the characters don't really deserve the ending that they got and the more i thought about it the more i really don't think that's fair to the characters i don't think that's fair to how much they grew during the movie because each character honestly goes through their own arc throughout this movie and they're all just like growing as people. They learn to stop being so selfish. They learn to start seeing from other perspectives. They learn to love themselves. And it's just a combination of all these things really brings into just 
how much I love about this movie. And I really don't think I got to explain that well enough during the original podcast. So I really wanted to express it here. I think with that movie, uh, it does have a similarity to Parasite in that same way as it takes a hard subject to explain to people and it puts it in a more palatable way and makes it to where you can actually discuss it with some or discuss it with other people. And it doesn't exactly have uh, that same three act structure like we were talking about before, which maybe comes out of left field for a lot of people. It's a day to day life, essentially, of these characters. Yeah, um, I think the way that it does convey its main theme of forgiveness and what it means to actually earn that, uh, I think it does do really, really well. Um, because it's not, it's not just like a, you do this and this and now suddenly you're a good person and you get all the good things. It's, it's you, you can do all of this and this and you can do all the good things, but it doesn't mean that you're going to feel good about the things that you've done still. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be happy with where you are. It just means that you've done this and this and this. And so society will look at you on a different light. Uh, I think the movie actually does portray that very well. All right. Moment of silent for a silent voice. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Cool. All right, so we're let's just to recap everything. Top threes, Jiraiya, it's such a beautiful day. Robbie, the thing. E, it's such a beautiful day. Rocky, hereditary. Number two, Jiraiya, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Robbie, parasite. E, parasite. Rocky, the wailing. And everybody's number one, Jiraiya, terror vision. Robbie, Blade Runner 2049. E, a silent voice, and Rocky, Blade Runner. And I think, honestly, that's a pretty good, like, showing. Even, like, there's a couple yeah. of, like, copies and like, uh, things that people agree, not copies, but, like, there's a couple of things that people agreed yeah. on, um, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I think, honestly, like, these top threes kind of run the gamut of uh, this podcast in general. Um, very different number ones throughout throughout most of it. Very different lists, kind of. I think it's kind of one thing that we've talked about both on the podcast and privately is that in a weird way, it's probably better that we don't always agree on the movie choices. For sure. A good example of that would actually be like how me and E were very iffy about um, uh, The Greatest Showman, <laughs> but Dry absolutely <laughs> loved that movie. But it made for a conversation because of that. Or how I really liked Rashomon, and no one else liked that movie. <laughs> you know, Robbie, <laughs> someone else did enjoy that movie. It's just not as much. You said it was just okay. Therefore, <laughs> you hate yes, it. That's a positive. It's okay. Robbie, you should have made that your number one and just fucking <laughs> like everybody hated it, including E. <laughs> like, that's the brilliant of this movie is that trash people stay out of appreciating it because they're. Crash. <laughs> every every time, like I'm sorry, Robbie, I had to put that joke in there one more time. Farther and farther down. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he was shitting on it constantly. Like, I'm sorry, I had to put that joke in there one more time. I know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's so like weird, like how in your mind it does like progressively keep like going down. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think I just got super, super defensive about that movie. And so, like, the fact that both of you were shitting on it while I was trying to defend it just kind of put me in this. <laughs> what did I just say? He was not shitting on it at all. I uh, did I a went little back bit. and watched it. Everyone was shitting on it. I'm even pretty sure I heard voices in the background that weren't part of the podcast that were shitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Did you hear out the window? The movie was garbage. Shut up, Mrs. Simmons. <laughs> Well, that is everybody's top threes. Pretty good start to our end of the year stuff here. We're going to call it a wrap on this one. And then um, next we're going to go on to best of genres uh, in the next episode. So we will see you all there. See you next time. Laters. Awesome.